When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code SPOTIFY to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code SPOTIFY at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code SPOTIFY. Welcome to another episode of Monday Night Therapy and You Need Therapy because it's the off-season. It's the off-season and life is a lot more miserable without football than it is with it. And uh, I don't, the USFL, are they playing now? They don't count. I still haven't gotten into that very far. Joining us is Scott Docterman of who covers Iowa for The Athletic. And welcome, Scott, and we're glad you're joining us to talk about Iowa. I mean, mostly mostly football, but, you know, whatever comes up, like the big news that was announced today. We yeah, can, it's what, been a busy day, that's for sure. Do you, do you want to start there? Uh, fire away. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's been a, it's been a day. I mean, when I, I had to write about both Iowa and Iowa state and stuff and, and so who knows what's, uh, what's going on. I know let's get the jokes out of the way early. I'm, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure there were, pl- you know, people were taking the under on football, you know, so, uh, that well, was my, probably my, the good, my one. biggest joke is that I had to, I had to prepare for this show by washing all the Iowa hate off me. And it took a lot of deep scrubbing. <laughs> yeah, well, we're going to be nice. We're going to be as nice as we can tonight, Scott. So uh, we really do want to talk about Iowa, the Iowa Hawkeyes and, and you know, kind of have a, a peaceful conversation. <laughs> no, you bet. That's, uh, you know, I think it's the same everywhere. I mean, you get to this point after spring football, you're starting to get to the you know, a little bit between spring and summer and everybody's kind of looking forward to what's coming up next and, and uh, where, you know, everybody's kind of on edge waiting. Okay. When are the first three weeks for kickoff times going to come and then specialty dates, black Friday being among them homecomings uh, and some other ones. So I think we're all kind of angling for, you know, what's coming up in, you know, three and a half to four months. Okay. So the news today, May 8th, 2023, it's, uh, the University of Iowa actually has a notice or a, 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 come on, an article on their website stating that they are investigating the involvement of Iowa athletes in gambling allegations of they did things wrong in gambling. Uh, I understand the same thing is going on at Iowa State. Uh, the notice on the University of Iowa website says the university has received information about 111 individuals. 26 current student athletes from baseball, football, men's basketball, men's track and field, and mess, men's wrestling, as well as one full-time employee. Holy, this, we, Todd and I were just talking about gambling before uh, you got here. And Todd mentioned that, you know, gambling is kind of wide open in, in the state of Iowa. I, Nebraska, I guess, doesn't have gambling or something. I, I live in Minnesota. Okay. And I don't gamble anyway. So what what do you know about what's going on with this gambling stuff? 
Uh, well, you know, a lot of there's so much, as you can imagine, speculation and hyperbole and what have you that's going on with this that I try to keep it pretty narrow right now just until I start to acquire more information. But but when you do have 26 student athletes at Iowa, 15 at Iowa State who are you know, who are you know, under investigation by the Iowa Racing and Gaming Commission uh, for gambling and presumably, again, um, on collegiate sports, that is a big-time concern. So I think right now it's it's something that, uh, you know, everybody's got to be cognizant of. Uh, you know, the baseball team this weekend, their best player, uh, best hitter anyway, Keaton Anthony, was withheld and for three games uh, because of potential NCAA violations. So that certainly, it you know, kind of points the finger at him. Um, but, you know, what's the big picture? Who was involved? What were they doing? Were they, you know, betting on – you know, you would hope if, if they're betting on their own sport, they're not going to play anymore, anywhere. If they're betting on a friend's, uh, then I think you look at it and go, okay, uh, what's going to be the penalty there? There's just a lot involved. I, I'm only scratching the surface. And, uh, you know, so I don't really have too many more details other than all this, again, some of the stuff on the side that I've heard that's probably not, you know, not, not accurate enough for me to really discuss. So, I mean, Alabama's Alabama's baseball coach threw his career away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's it. He's nobody's going to hire him for that. That's one thing in baseball that you just don't do. I, you know, ask Pete Rose, I guess, but uh, I don't get it. I, I honestly don't get why you, I understand that kids are young and student athletes are young and, uh, somebody promises you stuff or things, but uh, that's something that people just never, it's odd, which is really, I think odd. Yeah. Well, I, th- you know, they've had, they've had cheating scandals and point shaving in college athletics, you know, going back a long, long time. And there have been different eras. And, you know, I think it was like Boston college or something. They had a big deal with basketball a few years ago. Well, quite a few years ago now. What, what kind of surprises me a little bit about it in this day and age is, you know, 30, 40 years ago, even if you were a scholarship athlete, uh, you didn't have money in your pockets. You didn't have a whole lot of spending money unless, you know, you had some kind of, you know, something going on under the table back then. And I think some of those student athletes were a lot easier targets, or at least I would have thought, you know, they were easier targets than, the athletes today who seem to have more disposable income and mill and some of those other types of things going on. Um, just, but I don't know, gambling, I've, I've gambling in sports just makes me very, very nervous. And it always has. Yeah. It's obviously a concern. And, and now this is uh, for everybody outside of the state of Iowa and Alabama. It's, it's a teachable moment. And I don't think that this is going to be the last one. I think you're going to see probably some other universities and conferences to crack down and, and this will just be one of the more prominent ones. I would venture to say that compliance officers at division one schools right now are working overtime. Yeah, I, I would, pretty true. I would venture to say that's happening. So, yeah. well, uh, we're going to know more about how this all shakes down. I'm sure Scott in the next few days, I would guess that, information will come out um Mm -hmm. and you know that that anthony kid's a hell of a player and it would it would be well he he would have no one to blame but himself but doggone it i mean he's a hell of a player yeah no question you know it's gonna be 
you know, who bet on what and what will be the ramifications will be the, the, the interesting thing. Cause I, I think if, I think anybody is reasonable enough to say that if somebody bet on their own sport, that they should not no, no longer be playing that sport in college yeah. ever, not for Iowa, not for anybody. If you're betting on, you know, if it's, uh, you know, the Iowa South Carolina women's basketball game at the final four, that's uh, that's something else. But, you know, I, I, I know people have kind of wondered about, well, they they do have more money, but you know, people still go to gambling casinos and boats, you know, whether they have mm-hmm. money or not. I remember doing it when I was in college now I'd probably do it less than I did then, which is kind of funny. I do have a little bit more money than I did back <laughs> then. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's part of the, the thrill I, I would say, but, um, you know, there does need to be, you know, some stronger indications from the governing body, the NCAA, the Big Ten Conference, and and the schools themselves. And what are the rules? What will they allow these athletes in the future? But uh, but anyway, that's uh, that's something that hopefully we get more and more information about in the coming days. All right, football, because that's let's be honest that's what we want to do yeah uh iowa football next year 2023 uh, you have quarterback Cade mcnamara transfer from michigan uh running back caleb johnson probably starter set the freshman record with 779 yards you have luke Leahy. is it Leahy? lachey lachey yeah Uh, tight end luke lachey and I mean, Sam Laporta just got drafted. What the first round? Second round, thirty fourth uh, yeah. pick. Yeah. And you have wide receiver Nico Regani and Ohio State transfer four star recruit Caleb Brown. Mm-hmm. Now, if I if I said all this, and I like I said, I washed all the Iowa hate off me, which means mm-hmm. I'm trying to be objective as possible. I look at those skill position players and I say Iowa should be a really good offense next year. That's what I want you to respond to. Should be a good offense. I'm going to reserve judgment because I, <laughs> I, I had to watch the the last two years and and multiple times, not just on Saturdays but Sundays in a rewatch and try to figure out what was going on. But but realistically, they they hit the portal pretty hard for Iowa. Iowa's not a real big portal team. They usually just do it to supplement. A lot of times, if it's Hey, you know, there's a, a defensive tackle from Northern Illinois that wants to come play. That's good. But in this case, they hit seven on offense and one on defense. And all seven on offense will be two deep guys. Uh, Cade McNamara, a quarterback that led Michigan to the Big Ten title two years ago, is is coming here and he's, uh, you know, filling the part. And then if you look at quarterback by itself over the last few years um you know and the brian ferentz card is always going to come up but uh but in brian's first three years nate stanley who i think people here would say was pretty good not great but pretty good he had 68 touchdown passes in three years the quarterbacks mostly spencer petrus but also alex padilla combined for 28 the last three years that's a 40 touchdown difference in in a three-year two different three-year blocks and then you look at a wide receiver. They did pick up uh, two in the transfer portal. Caleb Brown, uh, you know, from Ohio State, was a top 100 guy. Iowa doesn't get those guys, you know, at a wide receiver on a regular basis. And Seth Anderson from Charleston Southern, whose dad Flipper Anderson played for the Rams about 30 years ago. Uh, Eric All, who was uh, at Michigan and, and a really good player, he got hurt last year and didn't 
played only in a few games, but uh, he's going to combine with Luke Lachey and have a pretty good tight end combo. And then they picked up two others on the offensive line. So, I mean, seven guys uh, on the two deep, including another backup quarterback who's probably better, dare I say, than anybody who was there last year. You'd think that they'd be better because you can't be worse. Now, will they be good? I'm not going to say good. I'll say better. And what, what that ends up being, we'll find out come this fall. You know, uh, Iowa has made their bread and butter on offense for the last two decades with a lot of homegrown offensive linemen. And in fact, you know, Iowa in the last 20 years has looked a lot like what Nebraska was like in the 20 years prior to that. Yeah, right. Um, Talk to me, Scott, a little bit about that that offensive line at Iowa last year, they were not the typical offensive line and maybe they weren't the year before either, mm-hmm. but what's, what's, what's the story with the offensive line in Iowa and, and why, why, why do they, why are they so damn successful when they're successful? Well, I guess, you know, here's what typically happens at Iowa that even when they're not great, they're good. And that is because, they, they kind of have a stagger that they might have like two or three seniors every year, two or three juniors and a and a, and a younger player who kind of rotates. Like they might have a guard, uh, senior guard who rotates with a freshman and then or maybe a sophomore. And then by the time that they're get, they get a little bit older, then they kind of do the same thing and it trickles down. Well, the problem I was faced the last two years was their 2018 and 19 uh, offensive line classes were complete wipeouts. Uh, there were transfers. Uh, one of them went to Nebraska. I don't think he played for you either, uh, Ezra Miller. Ezra uh, yeah, but he was a four-star. Everybody expected him to you know, be a good player, and it didn't work out for him at Iowa. And they had a couple of injuries, and then there was only one player who was on the, the roster last year who saw any action, and uh, you know his, his contribution was very, 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 very small. So, so they're basically playing with three classes, uh, the oldest being sophomores, who still had a lot to, to learn. Logan Jones, who's from uh, you know, the Council Bluffs area, uh, was a defensive tackle. They flipped him over to center to replace Tyler Linderbaum. And he had some struggles, but he was also, you could see he had a good starter kit for that position. He was a year away. Uh, you know, they had two other sophomores who were would have been rotational guys maybe in the past or, or a guard, and then they ended up playing tackle. And, and, and so there was – and then there were some freshmen who's got starts who normally would not. So they have kind of were fighting an, an uphill battle there. And in the past, you know, it's just the way they build them is why they've been so successful. And then you, then you get a guy like a Tristan Wirfs, and you're like, okay, this guy, <laughs> you know, there's a reason why he's an all-pro at the next level. But but uh, I would expect them to be better this year, and I'm, I'm kind of hedging on that a little bit. But I think Mason Richmond, he's been a two-year starter at left tackle as a freshman and sophomore. He played defense in high school. I think he'll be, you know, a pretty good player. Connor Colby is a guy that – I think will be you know next level player. He's a junior. He started as a true freshman and, and sophomore. And Logan Jones, I think, is pretty good. It's just going to be can they kind of work together? Um, I expect them to be better. You know, good uh, again. I, I want to see it before I'll say yeah they're going to be right up there. But I do expect them to to compete in a better way than they have before. So, 
when you go through this, the Iowa, I mean, the offense looks, it looks deep, pretty good, like mm -hmm. on paper. Yeah. Better. Better. Okay. Yeah. That's the word <laughs> of the then, day. Better. Yeah. <laughs> but then we get back to that one guy. Mm -hmm. And I, I really, I, okay. The real question is this mm. is the last two years because of bad quarterbacks, bad players, or is it because the offensive coordinator really isn't very good at his job? I mean, where's the, where's the balance here with Iowa on the offense? It's, it's definitely chicken or the egg. And I guess we'll find out a lot more this year for sure. But in, in Brian's, and I don't want to come across as a defender or a, a proponent of Brian Ferentz, but just try to present it in a, a fair way, which most fans do not want to hear these days. They just want, you know, everybody to throw tomatoes at Brian. And, uh, you know, what, what I do say is, you know, look, look at the quarterback percent, you know, that's, they haven't changed the offense. So it was quarterback productivity that, that mattered when Nate Stanley could throw 68 touchdowns versus 28 the last three years. There's a big reason. It's not Brian Ferentz. He's called the same plays. Last year was kind of everything fell apart for them, especially early at the same time when they had so many offensive line problems, when they only had one scholarship receiver who was available. And then they had a, and a quarterback who was very inaccurate. And then you combine you combine all of that. There's not a play in the world. I mean, they couldn't even. I mean, when they only had one scholarship receiver available the first two games against Iowa State and South Dakota State, I mean, they couldn't even go to three wide receiver sets because otherwise you're throwing two walk-ons on the field. You're not doing anything. It was just it was madness. But you know, Brian has has done some good things in the past. I mean, two year, or 2020 they were second in the Big Ten in scoring offense. Um, you know, when they were six and two uh, that COVID year and, and in, in 2018, when they had Hawkinson and Fant, they were, uh, you know, I think right. fourth, but it was still close to 32 points a game. So they've got that in their, in their back pocket. But, um, but there are other things that I look at with Brian and the coordination and the style of play and the lack of change play calling inside the red zone to me is probably the biggest factor in my, why I would be cr critical of him. That they that there's not a lot of depth to the routes or spacing of the routes and and I think that's been an issue. Um, sometimes they're too reliant on uh, running outside zone when in fact that it should be uh, they need to have more pre-snap motion because you know I, Iowa loves the cut block but they're almost legislating that out of the game so they got to yeah, find a way to 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 do that so you know. If nothing else, you know, whether it's Kirk propping up Brian or if they he believes Brian's a good coach and he's just been kind of let down by the situation, we'll find out a lot this fall because Cade McNamara is an established quarterback. I'm not going to say he's yep. an NFL guy, but he's at least competent and good. They've got Eric Alls, an NFL tight end. Luke Lachey is an NFL tight end. His dad was a three-time All-Pro. He's from Ohio State, an All-American. Um, I think, you know, the receiver's – seem to me to have a little more talent and the offensive line should come, come out. So will they, you know, will that put them over to the high twenties, low thirties and points? It very well could. And then it doesn't look like a Brian Ferentz thing, but what will then is what happens when it's a close game in a, in a pivotal game and a game that matters uh, you know, what kind of plays are he, is he calling and designing that to me will tell us a lot about Brian Ferentz and, and his future. You know, Scott, I want to talk a little bit about Coach Ferentz and, and, you know, Captain Kirk a little bit. And, 
you know, it, it's I, I've been pretty blunt uh, when I've talked about Iowa football in the Nebraska community and stuff. Yeah. But I, you know, you, you have to respect this, and I'm not saying anything any different than I would any other day. You have to respect Kirk Ferentz because the guy has has succeeded. I mean, he has had success. He has uh, developed players. I mean, my goodness. You know, he and his coaching staff had six NFL draft choices that, or draft picks this year. Um, you know, Kirk Ferentz is a very good football coach. Um, why? Why? How is it that they can develop these players the way they develop these players? Because they're not bringing in, you know, four-star and five-star talent. They're bringing in three-star talent. And, you know, I just, off the top of my head, you've got Tyler Linderbaum from Solon, mm -hmm. 2A school in Iowa, 3A, I think, in football. Yeah. You've got Hawkinson from Sheraton, mm -hmm. little town in South Central. You've got uh, Tristan Wirfs from Mount Vernon, another smaller school. you got Captain Jack from up there in Cedar Falls. Mm-hmm. How are these Iowa kids being developed into these NFL players? It's a it's a holistic approach, and it's one that I'm sure that's familiar to what you watched going up until the you know 20 years ago, and it's one that Iowa you know emulates not necessarily the Nebraska way, but it's that approach, which is it's developmental. It doesn't shy away from that. It it embraces it. The Iowa is a developmental program. They do not go out and get you know, four and five star guys, maybe they'll get, they'll get three or four a year, but you know, but that's about it. And what they have to do is they, they look for, they're very selective in how they recruit. They have a low offer list, usually a little over a hundred that they, it's really intangible based as long as they hit those markers that they look at and they see how they can develop and they, they check out things most of them are team captains in high school. Most of them are usually pretty good students. They've got decent athletic ability, multi-sport athletes, and their competitiveness is at a high level. So they bring them in. They're not afraid to redshirt, but they're also not afraid to play them. And then they just they set a goal for them, and they just they're very disciplined in their approach. And it's about you know, building, 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 building. You're never arrived, but it's but it's not a you know, boring concept, but it's just about, you know, rounding them up. And when you're looking at the players you mentioned and some of the others that are from either, um, you know, from Iowa or central Illinois or these pl places that have been overlooked, under-recruited, they don't really go to the camps. They come in, they have kind of a chip on their shoulder and then they get to work and they just have that kind of mindset. And it really is paid off for them because, you know, there've been players that, you know, even I remember Nathan Budgeta, you know, who's a Nebraskan, you know, and, and Drew Ott, of course, who I thought was fantastic. Um, yeah. Both of those guys were not offered um, by Nebraska. And then they came to Iowa and Drew in particular took off. And, and Nathan was just a, you know, he was six foot nothing, 280 pounds probably, but just a feisty, tough kid that, that really – bought in and built his way up and then he became a good player. And, and so I think that process is what was worked for them. It's what's worked for uh, Wisconsin over the years. It's really comparable. There's different 
styles, but they play the same way and you know, have the same tenets until this year. And and was and Minnesota has and and that's always been the thing I've thought about with Nebraska you know, since they've come in is there's no reason whatsoever that Nebraska can't be on the same line at least as as Wisconsin or in Iowa. It's just kind of that uh, attention to detail and consistency and a consistent approach. And, and if that could ever match, uh, you know, you don't have to obviously try to be Iowa or Wisconsin, you know, there's the aspirations are beyond that, but, but it's also, if you, if you stick to the process and, and just continuously try to improve and you don't deal with the transfer portal, all the attrition that Nebraska's had, and then in style and scheme and just, just, Focus on one day at a time, all the boring cliches, which I think Matt Rule is probably more uh, subscribed to than Scott Frost did. Then I think ultimately that three-star kid from Nebraska will end up being a a kick-ass player for you, just like in the Osborne years and Frank Solich years. You know, um, John, I want you to put Fred's serious question up here in a minute. Um, but We were going to go to comments and clear uh, those out. Okay. But, you know, a, a, a question I have, and, and I, I've not paid as much attention in the last few years. Uh, Coach Ferentz has, he's got, does he still have a pretty doggone experienced staff? I mean, is Reese Morgan still around and some of those other guys that seem like they've been there forever? Is he, I know Norm Parker, you know, yeah. obviously um, yeah. is still there. Well, Norm passed. Um, Not back. Norm, Phil. Phil, Phil my bad. Yeah, yeah, Phil. Okay. Phil's, yeah, that's all right. Phil's <laughs> been with them since day one, and and Phil's a real loyal guy. There've been a lot of SEC schools that have tried to poach him, and he's just said, "No, I'm, I'm here." And, and uh, you know, one of the things they they have evolved defensively under Phil. Uh, they used to be a strong, just straight up four three team, and and they would do some loops and stunts and different things, but but really were pretty basic. And then then about five years ago. They flipped more of a four-two-five, and they play that a little bit more often. Actually, a lot more often now than they do a four-three, um, and it's really worked. Uh, so yeah, he's been there. Reese retired a couple of years ago. Okay. That was a that was tough for them from a recruiting standpoint more than anything. I mean, Reese is a great teacher and just a your classic coach. He was a high, high school Hall of Fame coach before. Yeah, he, Reese is a good man. Yeah. I've, I've met Reese. Yeah. And, uh, you know, recruited the state so well and everybody knew him and respected him. So that that's been a chore for Iowa and probably they've lost a couple of recruits because of that. And certainly Iowa State has been more uh, difficult for Iowa than usual than in the past, um, certainly in Des Moines. But, yeah, they've got a pretty you know, deep staff, uh, an experienced staff. And 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 that consistency helps, I think. OK, we're going to take some comments. Lemansky asks, has Kirk been sounding confident on the 2023 offensive line? Kirk has kind of, Kirk and Brian both, but Kirk in particular has kind of altered his message a little bit where he's a little bit more direct this year. There's not as much friendly banter. And I think some of that is everything from, you know, the, the settlement that was forced upon them and the, in the court case to uh, the, uh, you know, Brian's contract revision and, you know, and having his 25 point per game, you know, the, the, the drive for 325 as it's been kind of, said. Uh, you know, I think he's been a little bit more that way, but I, you know, so confident, you know, I, I think he's, 
he's been saying all along that in order for Iowa to be good on offense, it has to be good up front. And I think he feels like this unit is taking a step forward. And, uh, you know, he, he's never he's never been over the top and how he if he says something to the effect of, yeah, I think we'll be pretty good that, you know, that they he thinks are going to be really good. It's just, uh, you know, so he's just kind of a matter of uh, with him. He seems confident that they're taking steps forward, but I don't think he's ready to anoint them as, uh, you know, some of the reincarnated better Iowan lines of the past. Oh, shoot. Let's go with Fred's question. Fred Sacco says for in a serious question, because he has to put that at the beginning. <laughs> with Fred, we need that from Fred. We do need with Fred. We need to know that he's asking a serious question. Yeah, okay, gotcha. God knows what we get into with Fred. <laughs> Fred says, serious question for Scott. Do you think Ferentz and co have become complacent with their Iowa way and lean on somewhat basic practices and just assume they'll roll out wins and NFL guys? it's been a, it's always been discussed here you know that there's been some sort of complacency and i i don't think that's the case i think it would if there if it was part of the case it was maybe seven eight years ago that it seemed to be that way but they've made some changes and they've changed their approach they've changed you know this year to the transfer portal um you know they they do what they do and they try to do it well. That's kind of what, but I think that's goes to the consistency here. And, and, you know, generally they play most of their opponents pretty close last year, Ohio state, notwithstanding because they, uh, you know, I mean, they had six turnovers and that's just on Iowa like in its own right, let alone it's team like Ohio state. But, uh, but other than that, they usually compete pretty well with most teams. And so it's just a matter of getting enough players to make plays in those games and win them. So, do they play too close to the vest for some people? Yeah, of course. They get bored with it a little bit, but it's also about winning. And uh, and the NFL part of it is just kind of an extension because they are so well coached in most cases. And people, you know, it, it does work as a double edged sword for some NFL teams, though, because they look at Iowa and say, are they a finished product? Is there any more left to them? Or are they just, you know, because what you see is what you get, and that's great, but is there more? And for some players like George Kittle, there absolutely is more. But for a lot of them, it's like, well, I think we're getting kind of what we're getting. And maybe we just, you know, they get drafted in the fourth or fifth round instead of second or third, which is maybe the way they play while they're in college. You okay, know, you, we got you mentioned George Kittle, and that just my goodness, Iowa has just turned out the tight ends in the last five to ten years. I mean, it's just nuts how many yeah. how many they've cranked out. Yeah, they've got five on NFL rosters right now, and uh, you know you got Kittle, who uh, was was a fifth round draft pick. I actually stayed with him during the draft for the second night and the third day, uh, just kind of to kind of be embedded with him during the whole thing. They've got two first rounders in, in Hawkinson and Fant, and they're starters. Uh, Sam Laporta was drafted thirty four overall, so just outside the first round. And then another guy, Parker Hesse, who was a defensive end flipped over and now he plays tight end for the uh the Atlanta Falcons. He's been there for five years. So he walk just, on kid. Walk yeah. on right? yeah. Two star walk on and uh you know from walk on Iowa and then yeah, yeah and just went to ended up a four year starter and you know yeah. but he he was six three two sixty just not gonna be a NFL guy at that position. So moved over and you know hey he's earning a paycheck. Yeah he uh I remember a couple of nights when the my beloved Tiger Hawks from North Fayette Valley played against yeah. him. And uh, 
That was a man against voice. That he was yeah. a man against voice. Yeah. Tough kid. Tough kid. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Terrell Farley's taint asks, how hot is Brian Ferentz's seat, and would Kirk sacrifice his job for Brian? And and really, the question behind this is, it, it, is Kirk? Is there a hot seat for Kirk? I mean, he seems to. Does Kirk get to make, Does he of, get to decide? Is Kirk going to decide when he gets to go? Kirk Ferentz is going to decide when he gets to go. Um, Brian Ferentz, the the issue that you know happened a couple months ago with his contract, you know he had his salary reduced. He had his uh, two-year rollover stopped, <laughs> so and, and he has to hit 25 points per game. Um, and then if he does hit that, and they, they win seven games, which I think they should do, uh, then it'll be reinstated. He'll get a bonus, and then he'll go back to what he was. And yeah, I, I think in some ways you look at, at Brian. Yeah, he or Kirk is sticking his you know neck out for him because. Um, all these changes here, um, you know, with this transfer portal and they brought in, uh, you know, a special assistant to the head coach. He's not an official assistant, but John Budmeyer is working with the quarterbacks, um, uh, you know, not on the field because he can't officially, but, um, you know, doing that sort of thing. I mean, it's all to, you know, you could say it's, is it all to help Brian succeed or help the team succeed? And I think it might be one and the same that if Brian succeeds, the team's going to succeed, right. but then ultimately, that helps Brian in the future. But, you know, there was always discussion that Brian was going to replace his dad. I was always one of the guys standing out and saying, I don't think that's, the I case. don't think that's going to happen. And that will not happen now. Absolutely not. But, but he's got it. He's got aspirations beyond being an offensive coordinator at Iowa, but you're going to have to do something with your current job to get to, to another one. Tony Lashlin. Okay. I just butchered that name. <laughs> I have no, Lashlin. Well, Tony, Tony asks Mike Riley or says Mike Riley and Scott Frost did not run, did not seem to understand the Big Ten, run the ball, stop the run. You can't do that. You can't win. Do you think that's still true or is that something that's just hung around for a long time? No, I think there is some truth to that because if you can't stop the run, you're dead. And and, it's, and I think, you know, whether it's, you know, we're pro approaching the last year of the Big Ten West, but I do think it's true in this conference or this division because you look at the teams that have been successful over the years they've all had that element except for Purdue and and that was a you know that, that last year was their only year and they were six and three and won the won the division so I, I think there's just uh you, you do have to make sure that you're able to run when you want to and you're able to stop them from doing it because otherwise that, that just that physicality uh takes a toll I mean Wisconsin and you know whether they're running mostly gap scheme and counter, and it's you know you, if you can't prepare for that 325 pound sledgehammer coming your way, you're dead in the water. And then likewise with Iowa with its zone, if, if they're reach blocking you, you're dead in the water there too. And and we've you know I know you've seen it, and we've seen it, and what Minnesota has been that way. Right. So you've just uh, I do think that you've got to. The the thing is, I think you need to match the physicality of your neighborhood. If you can do that, then you can do whatever the hell you want to do. You can you can you can line up and you know go five wide or whatever. But <laughs> you know, but I, I think if you match the physicality of your neighborhood, if Nebraska is on the same level physically as Iowa and Wisconsin, you're in and you're in Minnesota, then do whatever you want after that. It doesn't matter, and you can win your games. It's just, but when you can't, then you're operating at a deficit. Maybe you win like last year, but overall, it's it's going to be tough to get out, getting up and about. Okay, 
We're going to turn to the defense before we go right into the defense. I am a Green Bay Packer guy. And the Green Bay Packers in the first round drafted an Iowa player. And I looked at this and I went, who the hell is that guy? And I have no idea who he was. What? Can't tell me that he's he was worthy of a first round pick and that he's going to be fine and, and a great Packers Hall of Famer. Uh, Hall of Famer? I don't know. That's a great franchise. Uh, <laughs> there's a history there that goes on and on and on. But uh, I'll say number 90 now. That's what he's going to wear for the green and gold. Lucas Van Ness is is a terrific player and you know he didn't start a game and i know that was that's been the discussion you know how can you draft a guy in the first round and never start a game well at iowa you know here here was the situation he faced and uh he had two fifth-year guys starting at defensive end and he was a he was a redshirt sophomore and so they they went with their guys that had a lot of equity in the in the program they'd done it all they earned the starting role and he played more snaps than they did. So when, when it came down to crunch time, he was out, he was on the field the last two years. He led the team in sacks, uh, both as kind of playing an interior rush position as a, and a sub package his first year. And then last year, mo- mostly outside uh, his nickname's Hercules. And you look at the body of him and you're like, damn, I wish I had that. Um, <laughs> but he's uh, yeah, he'll be fine for Green Bay, and and I know Iowa really would have loved to have had him back, but you know, hey, if you're going to be a first rounder, yeah. you can't blame him. But you know, redshirt sophomore, if you know this year he would have been a starter, no question. There was not even a, a- okay. John, are you happy? His explanation yes. about why they made that pick is probably a much better explanation than I provided to the world last week. I I feel better about it. But that I'm takes glad. that takes us to the defense, Todd, and you can go ahead and head and ask about Phil. <laughs> Phil, yeah. If I was if I was starting a college football team at a Division One school anywhere in the United States, before I hire the head coach, I'm hiring Phil Parker. I don't you said he's entertained. No, you didn't say entertained. Yeah. You said that he has been contacted. Mm-hmm. by SEC schools. I got to believe that any school that wants to contend for a national championship at some points reached out to him. Tell us about Phil Parker. What's the magic with this guy? You know, it's amazing because he was in, he was a Michigan state three time, first team, all big 10 safety back in the eighties played for Phil Park or for Norm Parker who was the defensive coordinator there. And, uh, you know, he went to Toledo for 10 years and then he came to Iowa. He's got his, you know, his family was raised, you know, his son and his daughter were raised here. His son works for, for him as an analyst. And he's just, he was a secondary coach under Norm and then he took over at DC. And, and he's just, there is a, the way he teaches the secondary is, is magic. It's really, it's the best that there is. And, and it's funny because, uh, you know, Kirk worked with Nick Saban and, and Phil worked under Nick Saban at Toledo and, and, and at Michigan State even as a GA. And Phil's probably a little bit better as far as a defensive backs coach than, than Nick Saban is. And it's geometry based. It's you're going to be here. They play eyes on the quarterback, zone defense, quarter, quarter, half. And, you know, I mean, it's like, everything's geometrical like okay there it's x number of yards from the the paint of the the 20 yard line to the sideline where are you when the ball is placed here 
and you're here every single time. And he's played guys who are not nearly as talented, but can play the defense better than, and we've seen some kids like, you know, Julius Brents, who's a second round draft pick who went to the uh, Indianapolis Colts, uh, you know, did not start over Riley Moss. And so he transferred and Riley Moss is a third rounder and, you know, had three pick sixes and 11 interceptions, but Riley knew how to play the defense just a little bit better. And of course he was a great athlete as well, but that and the teaching up front is really the separator. Um, the way they, they two gap most of the time and they play, they, 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 they play a style that just, it's, it's really unselfish up front, but it's so technically based that every time they know where to be, they're usually there. Even kids like, like a Nathan Budgeta or Noah Shannon, who's now a six year guy, you know, six foot, 185 or 285 pounds and they just they're always in the right spot and so that's really to me the the essence of what phil does is uh it's all about and and they do one of the things that they've sacrificed on and this comes back to kirk a little bit is if they've got a player who could play either side and they're flipping a coin when it comes to the defensive back or wide receiver they'll play defensive back Micah Hyde probably being at the top of the list, who's still in the NFL, he would have been maybe one of the better receivers they ever had, but they just decided defense is a little bit more important, and and that's why they've been so successful. Okay, so Iowa turns out these excellent defensive players, and you know they they were doing that when Norm was around too. Yeah. So how come we got Diaco? What the hell? What the hell with Bob <laughs> Diaco? I mean, was that a plant? Or <laughs> hey, I don't know what happened there because I, when I went, I saw him. I'm like, whoa! I remember him a little bit back when I was in college. He was in college. I, I went to Western Illinois, but I did help out. <laughs> He's a different different guy. But you know, Chenander, uh, you know, he was around this program too. And um, you know, I guess I just I, I remember what what Bo Pelini had and and some of the defensive linemen that were there. You know, Malik Collins and. Valentine and, and and they were they were tough dudes and tough Randy guys. Randy Gregory and and I thought they played some pretty good defense uh, for the most part I thought they were undisciplined at times that they kind of were freelancing a little bit and that's what cost them against like Melvin Gordon but um, you know by and large I uh, I thought that's kind of the blueprint though for what you want to do you got Levante David and uh, you know Denard and. And, and guys like that, those are those are Big Ten caliber players. It's just um, switching defenses, switching styles a lot. Um, guys throwing out there, getting a, a transfer like Mathis who doesn't pan out. You think he's going to. Um, so with Iowa, that's why, I mean, there are a lot of homegrown guys that just really, they they get put in kind of in that that mindset. It's, it's not, not the military, but it's pretty close. And, and they just – they grind them up, and then that's how they play. And they're they 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 haven't they they sometimes to me they probably go too deep too hard um, into November. Sometimes their practices are what what's the phrase bloodbaths. Banker said that one year. Yeah, uh, they do they do go too far doing that. But but overall, all it, it seems to help their mentality and why they've been so successful. So uh, Todd and I were at that uh, Melvin Gordon paint game. So thanks for bringing up. Yeah, thanks. Thanks pain. for reminding thanks, us. Thanks and, for and, the uh, pain of that, Scott. Yeah. I can't uh, argue with you. They were great talents up front. They were mean, tough sons of guns. But I think freelancing is an appropriate 
um, appropriate term for a lot of the defensive players that we've seen at Nebraska recently, not playing within the system. Yeah. Um, so, so moving to the defense, I mean, what's the defense look like in 2023? Riley Moss is gone, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Captain okay. Jack. Yeah. That's going to, that's a big loss. Um, yeah. You know, lo- losing, you know, three NFL draft picks and, and uh, Kayvon Merriweather who probably should have been, and he was a free agent, you know, that's, that is going to leave a mark, but in some ways they're like defensive line, they're probably deeper than they've ever been. I mean, they're going to go nine or 10 deep. And this is a unit that five, six years ago was going hoping to get to six. And now they're at nine or 10. Um, is, there's not really a Lucas Van Ness All-American, although Deontay Craig has a chance to be in that category. Um, and their biggest talent is probably a sophomore, a true sophomore, Aaron Graves, uh, who rotated last year. And he'll, you know, he's a true sophomore. He was good enough where he was a true freshman. <laughs> he, was, yeah. he was rotating. Um, in the defensive backfield, um, Cooper DeGene is, uh, you know, kind of a freak. And I think he's the guy that's, uh, you had three pick sixes last year. Um, you know, five interceptions, three pick sixes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cooper DeGene. Yeah. Why on God's green earth, when the, when the Hawkeyes were struggling at the end of the year with the whole quarterback situation, why wasn't he the one that – that kid was an incredible high school quarterback. Amazing. That's been one of the biggest discussion points here all these years. I mean, they've had we've had issues over the years about Desmond King. Should he play offense like Jabril Peppers did at Michigan? Uh, Cooper is absolutely somebody who should have maybe played wide receiver. But when he went out in the Nebraska game, he got blindsided upside yeah. the head. Um, you know, the one thing Mickey Joseph noticed right away was, hey, we got the fastest Big Ten receiver, and they have a true freshman who's the backup and attacked him right away, 87 yards, and then another touchdown later in the game. Uh, it was yeah. a, it was a smart thing to do. Uh, I, I'm i not saying that they would have won or whatever, but maybe you don't give – It was a big loss. It was a big loss. You're not giving up an 87-yard touchdown like that. But, but yeah. no, he, he's – He's as good as they've ever had at that position. Uh, Xavier Wampa is a five-star. He uh, replaced Kayvon, who opted out of the bowl game and then had a pick six in that. Uh, Quinn Schulte, this is the weirdest one, is Iowa has had like a walk-on, most of the time from parochial schools, walk-on in-state kid who always starts at safety and they're always good. And Quinn Schulte's the latest in that line. Um, You know, cornerback, the opposite replacing Riley Moss is, is tough, but Jamari Harris had who's out all last year after having surgery um, the year before he had four interceptions as a backup. So that, you know, they just kind of have this secondary that I think is in good shape. Um, their depth is a little bit of a question mark. They still might want to go to this transfer portal for another corner, maybe to battle with Harris, maybe to be the sixth guy. Um, but other than that, they're they're in pretty good shape there. So, but Cooper DeGene uh, is, uh, I, I was, yeah, he's he's a first rounder, I think. And Iowa hasn't had a first round uh, defensive back under Kirk Ferentz. He he may have been the most exciting high school football player in the state of Iowa in the mm-hmm. last ten to fifteen years. That kid, mm-hmm. just absolutely incredible, incredible. Yeah. Oh my God! This is an Iowa love fest. Uh, well, what the hell I, is going on here? I, I'm I'm trying to be diplomatic. You know, <laughs> I've, I've 
<laughs> I've held back, John, but I'm going to give credit to those Iowa kids because I'm an Iowa, I'm an Iowa, not an Iowa Hawkeye. Uh-huh. It's two different things. Uh-huh. But I am going to ask you a question because, I, and I don't want to get way off track here, but it is just something I'm curious about. The Iowa State rivalry from the Iowa perspective, Iowa State has no greater goal than to beat Iowa. And Iowa State fans just live for that. Mm -hmm. Is the Iowa State game just another game for Hawkeye fans? It's a big game, and it really depends on where you live in the state of Iowa. I I would say that um, how the state is kind of divided is how Iowa fans feel about their different rivals. Because what is unique about Iowa is they really have four that you could throw them in and say, these are our rivals, but which one? Well, again, that kind of depends on where you live. If you're in central Iowa, it is Iowa, Iowa State. In the Des Moines area, that whole, you know, because you live it every day. You've got a Cyclone fan sitting next to you at school, church, wherever, uh, your workplace, and the jawing is nonstop. If you're in Western Iowa, Council Bluffs, Sioux City, it's probably Nebraska because you got to talk to a lot of people, uh, you know, who are Nebraska fans. In the Eastern Iowa area, which is where I live and where the campus is, it's probably, it just kind of depends on who's, it's Wisconsin more because it's actually a pretty close campus. It's only about two and a half hours away and their styles are similar and they, you know, they battle uh, a lot of times for the upper level of the Big Ten West. So, you know, Minnesota is its oldest rival and they play for the best trophy in my eyes in the Floyd of Rosedale. So you throw those in and it just kind of depends on the situation. But I think here it's here it, where I'm at, it's more Big Ten oriented. Like once you get done with Iowa State game, it's kind of over with and you move yeah. on. It's big for the week, but um you know, for Iowa State fans, it's, you know, and they haven't had a, you know, their rivals, they've always been the the small dog in the in the, in the rivalry sector. They look at, you know, Nebraska, you know, beat them like a hammer to a nail for a hundred years. And, you know, and, you know, they, Missouri was never really a rival. They were just lived next door and fought for a hundred years. And, uh, you know, Kansas and Kansas State kind of are, but, you know, you know, it's kind of like Iowa Purdue. I mean, yeah, okay, they played for 90 times, but it's kind of a rivalry, I suppose, but not, you know, that's kind of the way they are too. So, uh, but they have to deal with it. And then Iowa beat them 15 years in a row and Iowa State hasn't had any kind of real, they've never had a 10 win season. So they look at their, right. their, you know, rival across the state as, you know, this is a big deal. And of course, last year they beat Iowa and uh, then ended up, what, like four and eight. So, oh, yeah, yeah. So they gave up everything to beat Iowa, I suppose. <laughs> okay, so from everything you've described, Iowa sounds like an eight or nine win team. Is that a is that correct? I think they can go better than that, actually. Really? I, yeah, I think so. I, I think they're a pretty good team this year. I think they they're very. When you start to look at, you know, la, la, I don't know if the defense will be quite as good, but I think it'll be pretty good. Um, I think the the offense should be better, and then you start to look at okay, they don't play Ohio State and Michigan; they do play Penn State. But uh, but when you look at the losses they had last year and how pathetic that offense was, you figure ah, that's probably worth you know they lost nine to six at Illinois, they lost ten to seven to Iowa State. Uh, you know, there's a couple of games there where you feel like Iowa with a little bit better offense probably wins, and so I 
I kind of think they're the favorite in the West. So you don't need to tell us about close losses. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But <laughs> so, the, the champion of the close losses in 2001. Right? Yeah. Best three and nine team in the country. Yeah. So history. You think, you think they can they can be a 10 win team? Yeah, I do. Have, I have you so. said this anywhere else? Yeah, I said it. Uh, I was at a Kansas City iClub event over the weekend. I actually went down there and I said, I, I think they could win, you know, 10 plus games because, you know, they got to go to the road to, to Penn State. That's going to be tough. They got to go to the road to uh, Wisconsin, to Nebraska, to Iowa State. You know, those are all going to be challenging games for Iowa, um, along with having you know, Purdue and Illinois at home and Minnesota. But but I but you look at those games and you think, well, why you know, there's no reason they can't win them either, other than maybe Penn State on the road. That they will be a significant underdog. So, you know, again, bet, better offense, comparable defense. Yeah. I mean, I think they could be better than what they were two years ago when they when they went to Indianapolis. All right. We're gonna take some more comments. We usually do about an hour. Uh, but we, and I've saved one question for the last, just for discussion. But uh, let's see. Let's go with uh, James Marshall comes in with, do you see Illinois as a threat to taking Iowa's place as being the division standard for toughness and fundamentals? I think you got to be cognizant of Illinois being having some heavy potential with Brett Bielema. He understands how to build a program in this part of the world. Uh, he didn't have a lot of success at, at Arkansas, but he did at Wisconsin. And, and uh, you know, he was taught at Iowa. He could be played for Hayden Fry. He, he coached under Kirk. He coached under Barry Alvarez. He coached under Bill Snyder. Um, Bill Belichick, he understands how to do it. And they last year they, you know, really with, in his only a second year, they had a defense that could really compete with anybody in the country. So uh, Illinois has always been, and I think, you know, probably in the old world for you guys, but you felt maybe Missouri was that way, kind of the, um, the un most underachieving program you'll see. When you look at Illinois, right. it is the absolute flagship institution for a state with 12 million, 15 million people, whatever it is in Illinois. And yet to be this, inconsistent and down most of the time you're like why well now brett understands that you have to go to these small towns where iowa has picked them over where you know fcs teams in northern illinois is, is gone he's going to go get those guys so i think in this part of the world now that even though we're going to change out of divisions in another year or so iowa wisconsin minnesota nebraska everybody's got to look at illinois and say yeah this isn't just some it, oh, it's just Illinois. No, if Brett has them rolling, they're going to be a formidable opponent for years to come. I would agree. So you think the Big Ten West is rising? Uh, not right. Not this year, but I think when it comes to a full conference that I think that you'll see a better, you know, I, I'm really, I, I really don't know what to think about Wisconsin right now. Uh, right. You know, what, what happened at their spring scrimmage game or whatever was a disaster offensively, 10 sacks, five interceptions. Um, you know, they're trying to go with an air raid approach which is complete opposite of what they did. It might be, that might fall apart for them. And then what? I mean, <laughs> you know, do then you we laugh, we yeah. laugh and point. That's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> I think there will be a lot of that, but uh, you know, with Matt rule, I think he can do it, but can he do it? Well, I thought Scott Frost could do it too. So I, uh, you know, I guess we're just, we don't know. And right. You know, Pat Fitzgerald, I think is a heck of a coach, but I think with the transfer portal that that, 
program is going to be de- yeah. devastated because they're just not going to be able to get kids in every year. And I think Illinois is on the rise. Purdue, I do not know what to think right now with with Ryan Walters. He was an excellent defensive coordinator, and but Jeff Rom brought a different ball game, and it really worked for Purdue. You know, if if they can't get this, if Illinois is beating them for the tough guys, that's that's going to be awfully yeah. difficult for them to manage. So, um, I think the West is capable of of getting better. I think this year it might be a down year for the division, though. Fred Sacco comes in with another question that seems pretty serious. Yeah. He says, Scott, is Nils Consortium getting any better, or is it still $5 gas cards at Stuckey's and a free press nut roll every month? Oh, uh, yeah. I, I've heard people like those. No. <laughs> 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 no, I, <laughs> the, the NIL is, is going well. I mean, that, that's how they're getting, you know, receivers, uh, you know, Caleb Brown from from Ohio State, a four star who was it was uh, he was on his way, basically stopping in Iowa to go to Oklahoma and Texas A&M. So uh, for them to be able to keep him here, that's a big deal. And they're able to land a pretty decent quarterback and tight end as well, at least profile wise. So um, it's going well for the football program. I think men's basketball has probably got some work to do there. Um, but, uh, you know, is it as good as Nebraska's? I don't know. I, I think it all remains to be seen how this is going to work out. But but enough people have subscribed to where I think, you know, if you can get eight. And, and I haven't even mentioned Nick Jackson, the starting middle linebacker. He was two-time uh, second team all ACC with 100 tackle plus seasons at Virginia. And he's going to be the guy stepping in for Jack Campbell. Okay. Let's see. Uh, Lemansky comes in again and he says, Scott, as a Hawkeye, love the Iowa fan base. Oh my God. What have I done to my, what have I do? This is a Hawkeye nation show tonight. <sighs> love, love the Iowa fan base. Comment on the Husker fan base. I respect them highly. Well, okay. I'm going to, I'll just be honest here. I mean, it's you, you before you start this, I'll say <laughs> this, you get the crap beat out of you on Twitter. I do. I, I, and I, I admired your willingness or your ability to, well, not do what I do is just immediately just go to words that the FCC finds radio stations <laughs> for. So go ahead. Yeah. Well, I'll say this. I got, I got beat up pretty good for using uh, starting from scratch uh, for a phrase on the West division talking about Nebraska. And then all, and then a bunch of, uh, I got really hammered by Nebraska fans for using that phrase. And then Matt rule used it. And I'm like, see, I told you God, you know, but uh, (laughs) I thought that was kind of funny, but no, I, I mean, when you talk about fan bases, and uh, I mean, there's a lot of kudos that need to go around. I mean, you just a team that's not had this kind of success. Uh, and, and I mean, some of the, the you know, I'm don't throw tomatoes at me, but I mean, you're 13th in, in wins among Big Ten schools in the last five years. And, you know, the only yeah. P- power five team not to go to a bowl game since, you know, 2017 and yeah. still selling out the stadium. And even if it's fuzzy math or whatever you want to call it, I don't care. I mean, it's still have you know, 75, 80,000 people there and the tickets are all sold is still a big deal because, you know, I can go to Indiana's Memorial Stadium and it's, uh, you know, it, 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 there are more, there are bigger crowds for basketball sometimes than there are for football. So it, it is remarkable to see, you know, how, you know, just, you know, there's been no let up in the interest or the, the passion of the fan right. base. And, you know, it, it's easy to, you know, whether it's, you know, and, I, and I'm not, and I, I try to be 
dis, you know, not, not, I try not to engage as a, you know, I don't do fan stuff because I truly save my fandoms for the NFL. But, uh, you know, I, I will say, you know, it's easy to kind of mock at times when, you know, it's like the off season's coming. Okay. You know, things are going to rev up. It's going to be, you know, Nebraska is going to win the national title this year. And, but, uh, and then, Oh man, it's, another- we, we have won the national title. The 2023 off season is ours. Yeah. Okay. You just, okay. <laughs> this last question comes from Husker Chuck and he asked it a long time ago. And I thought, why, why not ask? And Husker Chuck says, can I ask about Iowa's claimed 1958 national title? Basically, I'm confused as to the circumstances. What What's up with that? Do you well, know your Iowa history that well? I do. I mean, they, they have pieces of five. Um, you know, they've all happened way before I was born, so I'm not going to get, you know, high and mighty on it. But I will say the 58 one, uh, they, they got the football writers one, the Grantland Rice Trophy. Um, the AP one went to uh, LSU. Iowa went to the Rose Bowl, won it, won the Big Ten. Um, you know, was voted I think second by AP, and you know, and, and won the from the Football Writers of America. So, you know, back then, you know, there was a bunch of different guys. That, you know, I mean, a bunch of different polls. I mean, in the twenties they claim them, and one a year that's it's totally legit. You know, I think I wrote it in twenty twenty one. It was a hundred year anniversary of them beating. Newt Rockney's team, but you know what? Uh, that, that happened so long ago, and, and even the, you know, w- w- I always look at it as when the players uh, were born after certain things, it's time to move on. And Iowa's getting there too when it comes to Big Ten titles, because <laughs> 2004 was the last time they have a share of a Big Ten title. So I think uh, once they that starts to happen, it's just for old people like me to, to to chat about you know the 85 Bears, which I hate doing it these days. <laughs> <laughs> All right. One more thing I want to ask. Uh, I know I said an hour, but I, we have you. So there you go. Yeah. Do you have to go anywhere? How long? No. Four or five hours? <laughs> okay. But, you know. What do you, this is our final year. And then the next year, I mean, college football really kind of changes more than it's changed in a very long time. You're going to have a 12 team playoff, but I think the biggest change is that USC and UCLA will join the Big mm. Ten. What do you think the impact of that is going to be? I mean, we're, we're looking at a Big Ten West where I would say you always wanted to coach because you're one step away from a Big Ten title and then you're one step away from a college football playoff. And that's not mm. going to be true anymore in a year. It's What's going to be fascinating is I think – if, if your goal is to reach the playoff, and I think for the teams in this neighborhood today, that's probably the right approach. Get to the playoff. If you win a game, if you host a game, that's a big deal. Winning the championship in a playoff is something that you just kind of put out there. And if it happens, awesome. But let's not worry about that right now. And I think that if you consider yourselves, hey, if we can get to the top three in the Big Ten, you're all right you're going to get in the playoff and you might get a home game. And if you can get a home game, it's instantly one of the biggest games in school history in that stadium. I mean, can you imagine whether it's at Memorial oh, stadium yeah, or stadium um, and you're playing Florida in the, the second week in December or Iowa is or whatever Wisconsin is. I mean, that is like, <laughs> you don't even know. I can't even imagine what that would be. Like I never even charts. thought of that, but you're yeah. right. That would be the most, yeah. You know, weirdest I mean, thing ever. You know, you know, Nebraska's obviously had some 
unreal games with Oklahoma, Colorado, and, and some other schools in the past. Iowa's had a lot of, you know, pretty good games. But this that would just vault to the top of the list, I mean, as far as great games go. Adding USC and UCLA, I think what it does change, um, you know, travel, and we all know the logistics, but it's also about, you know, who you play and how often you play them. And, you know, one of the things that still remains to need to be settled for the Big Ten is, you know, how do you divide up the, the you know, who you play and, and, and what regulate uh, and, and when you play them. And so, like, they're either going to go with a three-team, um, you know, three protected rivals and cycle through everybody else, you know, twice every four years or two teams, and then it kind of is more skewed. Or it's going to be a, a hodgepodge, and and see like a team like Iowa has three teams that probably would want to play every year: Nebraska, Wisconsin, and and uh, Minnesota. But right. you know maybe Nebraska is like, well, you know, as long as we play Iowa every year, and you know we're all right, we'll play whoever. Or if you're USC and UCLA, it's like just let us play each other every year, and we don't care. Or Maryland and Rutgers, nobody really wants to play them anyway. You know, so you've got all these factors kind of a place right. so it very well could be this you know jagged um situation where maybe michigan plays just michigan state and ohio state iowa plays minnesota wisconsin and nebraska but nebraska just plays iowa and cycles through everybody else a little bit more often and that's not the worst thing anymore just protect the rivalries that need to be protected and then cycle through everybody else because one of the things i was starting to worry about with the big 10 was that it used to be this all for one, one for all. And then once they went to divisions and then Michigan and Michigan in particular started getting better and Ohio state became great that it started to split and for, you know, and, and right. fracture and became big 10 East, big 10 West. And it was never like that before. So I think that's probably something that's going to be helpful to the big 10 as a whole. It still may be skewed in that direction, but you know, I'm also like, yeah, I've seen Wisconsin knock the crap out of, Michigan enough times. And I've seen Iowa win, you know, up until recently, you know, they'd won five out of six against Michigan. So, you know, there's, it, it's capable, you know, everybody's capable of winning some of these games. And as long as, you know, if, if Nebraska shoots for a, ten, you know, 10 win season in the big 10, I think you got a really good chance of getting to the playoff. And if you're at 10 or 11, even if you're not getting Indianapolis, then you got a chance to host a game. And again, I just can't imagine anything bigger for one of these campuses than a December home game against an SEC team in their stadium. Todd, do you have anything else? No, I, I tell you what, I, I really appreciate Scott joining us tonight. And, uh, you know, I can't wait until Black Friday next year. You know, it's it uh, that's something I always look forward to. And and um I don't want to see Iowa win 10 games next year, but, you know. Um, four. Four. They can have four. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So, no, anyway, uh, you know, right now Iowa is uh, – uh, I'm not going to say it's a golden era because it, I, that's overstating it, but uh, Iowa men's athletics are playing very well uh, mm -hmm. right now. And it's uh, – if you're a Hawkeye fan – Enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Well, after the basketball era before Fran, uh, I think people kind of, well, they, they still want to get to the second weekend. They haven't done that in 25 years. So that's a, that's a big deal there. But women's basketball was something out of this world this yeah, year. So that, it was. Yeah, it was. You know, so that kind of, that kind of uh, dwarfed a little bit of the football talk for a while. So that was, that was kind of interesting. Yeah. 
Well, with the news today, I mean, uh, it could damage a lot of stuff, and we'll see what happens. So, yeah, yeah, maybe absolutely. they will win four games. <laughs> <laughs> they might. <laughs> I thought last year was that year, but uh, you know. Okay, they, we Scott, we only sign off of this show. We just say good night, and okay. then stick around for a minute because I have a couple questions for you after the show. Okay. So, good night, Todd. Good night, Scott. Good night, John. Good night, Scott. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>